Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. My name is Colin Hunter, and I'm your host. Delighted to to welcome to this episode this gentleman, Ken Mossman, who you're going to hear from today, has uh, had a big impact in a very short space of time. He was recommended via a contact, Brian, where should done Ken's course, Brian, which we're going to talk about today. And it's fundamentally, it's a bit about getting yourself as a man to a better adult version of yourself to allow yourself to have a better impact in society. And uh, having chatted to himself, to Brian, and listened to some of the content from participants that they got out of it, for me, it's a game changer for me. I'm looking to look to sign up to, to do this course uh, this year. And uh, it's just a, a different perspective on the way to do things. And I, I also just love Ken. So enjoy this conversation. So Ken, welcome to the Leadership Tales podcast. Tell the world who you are. And if somebody is not watching the visual, they need to know about this mustache that you've got <laughs> in the handlebar. They've got to know about this, but, but tell us a bit about yourself, sir. Yeah. Well, let, let's start with the mustache because it's a recent thing. And it's a funny thing that you mentioned it, Colin, of course, because I suppose it presents, it's, it's, it's more front and center than my eyes to some degree, I guess, because, you know, my nose comes in first and then the mustache and then the rest of my head. <laughs> This is a, a relatively recent thing. I had been, I haven't had any facial hair since, I don't know, sometime in the, in the 1980s, I suppose. And there was something about COVID. <laughs> just something. Just There's something. Something about, about COVID where <laughs> it just seemed like my son made a commitment to not shave or cut his hair for three years. And we're coming up on three years now in May. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll see if I can grow a beard. And <laughs> love it. And sure enough, I could. And then the mustache just kind of, you know, had a mind of its own. And there was uh, the purchase of some wax. So now it hasn't, it has in fact become a thing. <laughs> a thing. I love, I love that. I also just love the playing with it as you, you know, I just, if people are not watching the visual, get on the visual and have a look at this. Great. Well worth it just for that. I love Ken, tell us, tell us a bit about your background. Tell us your story about how you got here. Yeah, today. yeah, 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 yeah. Good. So I'll start with this. I've done a lot of different things. And a joke, but there's, of course, some truth to it, is that I think of myself as a Renaissance man. If I'm looking at my my history, I have two degrees in fine arts, visual arts. I taught skiing for a number of years. I coached a college racing team. I, I was a professional baker for years, a sous chef, spent a lot of time in commercial kitchens, you know, thinking that that would be a way of funding my art habit and then quickly discovered that those gigs left zero gas in the tank for much of anything except, you know, shower, sleep and start all over the next day. But I consider myself kind of a renaissance man because I've done all of these different things, owned a personal fitness training business for a number of years, a business with my sister. We taught continuing education workshop. I, I've done a lot of different things. Anyway, I think of myself as a Renaissance man. The joke is that my wife uh, thinks of me more as just completely unfocused. There's truth in both perspectives. 
Feedback is a gift. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and I found my way to the world. I, I'm going to talk first about coaching with a little bit of backstory before that. Just about anything I did, I would find myself kind of slipped into positions of leadership or seen in a given group as having leadership potential. You know, I made my way to coaching through some executives that I was working with as a personal fitness trainer, and one in particular who really saw something in me that I wasn't able to see in myself, and a senior VP at a, at a very large international bank. And I stepped into that, that world, that being the world of coaching and leadership training as well. And I just never looked back. I felt like I had come home and um, that was going on 23, 22, 23 years ago now. And then as far as really, and, and cut in at any time, Colin, and, and redirect, or if, I'm if I start to go off on a tangent. Now, I think one of the big pieces that fell into place was around working with men. I'll say this, I was late to the fatherhood game. My wife and I met later. We were both 28 at the time. And I had my business. She had a profession. We had a number of, you know, there's more to the story than that. There were a number of miscarriages, et cetera. It was, it was a bit of a tough, it was a bit of a tough road to hoe in terms of finally having our son, who's 24 now, but he was born when I was 40. And Danielle, my wife, was just a few weeks shy of turning 40. So I came to fatherhood late and there was, you know, something about working with men, you know, who's the most interesting person on any given day? It, <laughs> you know, I think if most of us are honest, it's the one that we face in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't look that great in the morning. It might surprise you, but I don't look that great in the morning. <laughs> you're, you're blessed. You have hairs that are out of place on the top of your head. That, 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 that's good. <laughs> I have my wax. You know, but by looking in the mirror, I was like, oh, you know what? There's, I'm not the only one in this position. And, and, and having grown up in the shadow of the women's movement, 60s and 70s, uh, the shadow of Vietnam, et cetera, there was some confusion about what it was to stand in a man's shoes, uh, to be a man. And then specifically in the beginning, it was, pardon me, in the beginning, it was really about men who came to fatherhood late and the challenges that they were facing. But then as my son grew older, things changed and my, my lens opened up a bit. And I started to ask, I think, uh, broader questions. And I also started to see patterns in terms of what men were facing and how they were showing up or not. So that was a long-winded answer to a beautifully short question. <laughs> no, but I, I, I love it. And I think this is the unique piece, Ken, for me that, you know, we connected, we've had conversations, but the way, because anybody listening at the moment going, particularly the women and probably going, well, hold on a second, you know, we're still not, it's the age of women at the moment. We still need to sort this. But but actually what you're talking about, and particularly the program that you've been running is is something that's different, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm curious if I could, if I could pop a question back, back to yeah. you, you said there's something that's different. What are you seeing that's different? Maybe we can have some conversation about that. 
Yeah, because I, I think for me, the difference that I see is that as a man, in a, you know, in a world where women quite rightly are now getting more traction, I'm a father of daughters. Yeah. So that's how I describe myself, because I want women to have more place, more opportunity. And therefore, it's almost step aside, Colin, while we give the opportunity for others to fly, whether those are whether it's women and I'm going to include other you know, neurodiversity, other areas of this world that need the opportunity to fly. However, to step aside is a difficult thing because where's your place then? So, you know, where do you sit? How do you act? And then I look at young men nowadays, you know, boys who I know through families who have sons. And I look, I honestly don't know how I'd work out what I should be doing and how I should be doing things now. And so therefore it's a, it's a unique way of helping men to be allies to the rest of society is the way I see it, which I love the uniqueness. That was my flavor. Yeah. 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 That's good. I love where you're, where you're looking there because it's interesting language that you're using step aside because, you know, one of the things that I'm, and I'm, I'm reading uh, Richard Reeves of, of uh, boys and men right now. Great book, great book, really beautifully, beautifully studied and researched. One of the things that I, I'm going to make a hash of everything he says, by the way, and really overly simplify it. I made a hash of saying it, so you may as well just, you know, break <laughs> okay. it up. Let's deconstruct it. <laughs> okay. Because really what he's saying is the results that we're seeing now, you can look at the results that we're seeing right now and saying, oh, okay, you know, to a certain degree, men have, men have stepped aside as women have ascended. And really what he's saying is we're, there's a lot of either or happening. You know, there's a lot of either or happening and gone down the rabbit hole of, of either or. He says something else that I think is really kind of interesting because he also says, you know, in terms of the crisis that's going on where younger men, you know, boys and men, and even men uh, who look like you and I, you know, I have a little more gray than you, but still, you know, middle-aged men, et cetera. From a political standpoint, the political right, you know, the conservatives want to drag us back to the, you know, what was so much better in the 50s, as an example, and the political left wants to deny that there's a problem. And of course, neither of those is useful. Neither of those points of view or holding it that way is uh, ways of holding it are useful. So one of the things that he's pointing to, and I'm still relatively early in the book is we need to find a way to not have it be either or, to not get out of the way, but to move forward together. And part of that lives in the arena of of education. You know, part of that lives in the recognition that, yes, boys mature more slowly than than girls do. And our institutions, our educational institutions aren't set up to take any of that into account. There's more to it, but I'll rest there. So tell me about the program that you were, because in theory, what you're talking about, I mean, when I was reading through it, you know, there's some outdated messaging and beliefs that are in there, which we're, we're hinting at, we're, we're, we're going around at the moment. There's this concept of the multidimensionality of and what he can do in there. But there's some busting of myths, which I think, you know, and I, I was sharing with you just off, uh, you know, when we we're off the record here, 
that one of the things I realized about myself last week was that I decided to stop arguing because I just didn't like myself when I was in arguing mode. And as I was thinking about it, I also realized I'd stop arguing with women, not men, but I stopped arguing with women. And then I realized, I mean, one of my great friends, Leon Davy, is, you know, it has about positive conflict and about conflict debt that we hold if we don't get our views out in there. So none of this is binary, as you've hinted at and talked in here. We've got to find a better way of having conversations and, as you say, not stepping aside, but working with people. So what do you do with the men going through the program? Because the program is called I Am. Yeah, very simple title, Will. You could stick Will I Am at the beginning, you know, and then and link. <laughs> but I Am. But the concepts are, are quite powerful. What, what's it about? Yeah, I, I think the concepts are very powerful. So you mentioned messaging before. The short tour of the I Am program and a little bit of context. So, so uh, or a big piece of context for the, the program is, addresses messaging, and that is those of us in Western culture, you know, from the time we're able to live in the world of language, have these messages thrown at us. And, and oftentimes they're messages about, you know, what it is to be a man, you know, what, it, what, what's, what's manhood, what's masculine, what's manly, et cetera. Yet, it's pretty darn rare that we receive messages about what it is to be a conscious, whole adult. Uh, a little bit of editorializing here, if I may. And what we see out in the world, in the media, in the world of leadership, all over the place, is we see an awful lot of men. The culture, anyway, is kind of locked into uh, a state of adolescence. But I think particularly men get locked into this uh, endless feedback loop, endless adolescent feedback loop that includes um, entitlement, a certain kind of irresponsibility. Uh, there's a lot to it. I could talk about it for days. I'm not going to go down that path right now, unless you have a specific question. But the program starts with that premise that we, you know, we hear an awful lot about what it is to be a man, what it means, you know, in air quotes, what it means to be a man, what masculinity is, what manhood is, but not a great deal about responsible adulthood. And what we do in the program is we refamiliarize ourselves with different aspects of self, you know, the multi our, our multi-dimensionality. So let's find that, let's find that inner child and get to know him, get to know him in real time, by the way. So we're not taking a, a backward glance, but getting to know that inner child here now today, these bits and pieces that are parts of us and always will be parts of us, you know, as long as we're willing to be aware of them. Our inner adolescent, our inner young adult, looking at our inner feminine, our inner masculine, and all the different aspects of the ego, really taking each of these pieces, looking at the messages that they got and the messages that they continue to carry unconsciously, so we can start to unwrap those and free ourselves from those messages and become aware. That's the biggest thing is become aware of, oh, wow, I didn't, I, this one, this one's got me by the ankle I, or, or, or somewhere higher up, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not even, I'm not even aware of it. You know, I'm not even aware of it. And you mentioned the arguing. And I think that's really, really an important piece because part of it is, you know, what are we driving toward? Well, we're driving toward being able to engage the world through an adult lens, so when it comes to conflict, when it comes to argument, I can show up as 
I, I, I can show up as an adult in the equation, you know, and the chances are I'm not going to get rattled. I might, you know, that happens, everybody. That happens to everybody. These things are practices. But there's something about being able to show up in one's adult morph, if I may say that, use that language, in one's adult morph and meet, you know, meet other people you know, uh, uh, as adults rather than in family is one of the, is, is a great place to look because oftentimes when we're with family, depending on the relationship with family, it's like, boom, right back. I was, I was 45 when I stopped the car in front of my folks house. But by the time I went through the front door, I was 13 again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, you mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and wouldn't it be refreshing then to, to be able to carry that change and change the face of of that relationship to say nothing of of all the others and it, and it is fascinating for me because it goes back to something i've mentioned on this uh, podcast a while ago but jamie smart who wrote the book clarity once gave me the analogy of you know as a child we have a self-correcting mind um, and therefore it's almost the power of our conscious mind in those days is strong enough imagine the colorado river cutting through canyons but as we grow older, we just freeze that thinking. We get all these messages, myths, as you say. And as, as a man in this context, we get all of these things, which is, okay, so I need to do X, Y. I need to be this mode. So we have this trickle of consciousness. So we, we freeze up. It's fascinating to me as my one of my daughters is one of the best coaches I've had through my life. But she, she once told me that uh, when I was ch chatting to and I thought I was chatting to two of our uh, neighbor's kids. She said, Dad, do you realize you're a very scary person? You know, so you scare people. And I took that, whoa, what do you mean scary? And she said, because you're a big bloke, yeah, your voice is strong, and therefore you are. So I consciously have been trying to diminish my voice. So it's almost a, it's removing the power from ourselves. But what you're talking about is release those find that inner child that didn't care what people thought, just explored, experimented, and learned by seeing the reaction on other people's faces. That's what you're talking about, yeah? That's a big piece of it, yeah. And learn yeah. to, if we're going to isolate the inner child for a little bit, you know, um, learn to channel his, and partner with him, channel, open oneself up to his, his curiosity, his creativity, his desire to learn. We're all such hungry learners as, as kids. And of course it's innate, you know, it's, it's, it's just part of the, the child operating system. But to your point, yeah, we, you know, absolutely. We cut those things off. We're taught to cut those things off. One of the um, pieces that I, I mention often in the courses, you know, in that example, if I've cut myself off from the inner child, as an example, or I've cut myself off from my emotional experience or from, you know, the name, you know, name an aspect of oneself, but a separation from any part of self is a separation from self. And this is kind of an absolute nature to that. It's like cutting off a limb, you know, it's like cutting off a limb. And then we're wondering, well, why, you know, why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? Why am I having this experience? Well, you've cut part of yourself off. It doesn't, life is hard that way. 
And they also say that when you lose a limb or, you know, people lose limbs, they still believe it's there. It's almost this part that, so it's once, you know, I was listening to a big fan of the high performance podcast and they were talking about the ghosts of your childhood rattling around in, uh, in us as adults. And it's the same thing. If you cut off part of you, it's still rattling around in there somewhere and having an impact on it. So why not bring the voice to the party? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Rather than being haunted by the ghost, I mean, rather than being haunted by the ghost, make friends with the child. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. So many analogies mixed up in here. It's yeah. just parties and all those things, but metaphor monsters. <laughs> and because the other thing about, about separating from self is that it is, it's lonely. Let's just call it what it is. It's bloody lonely. And that's the important part of your program for us. Yeah. Is, is that moment of going, you're not alone. You've got other people to talk to. But we all are on the individual. It's about the power of that collective. Yeah. Right. And to hold both of those things at the same time. I again, that, that speaks to one of the myths that we're either spoon-fed or force-fed or a combination. And that is that, you know, this, this notion of if it's to be, it's up to me. Well, you know, on the one hand, there's some truth to that. On the other hand, what's far more true is that unless you're in a cave, unless you're a hunter-gatherer living in a cave by yourself, miles away from other human beings, nobody does it alone. Where do you get your food? You know, do you, do you go to the, do you buy it from a store? That involves other people. If you're in business, do people buy from you? That involves other people. Do you have products shipped to you? That involves other people. I love the way Raj Sisodia talks about He's talking about it in a business context, but these, you know, these expanding circles of, of stakeholders that, you know, when one is willing to see, and this is another, it's, it's an adult function, being able to see the world and the, all of the different nesting systems that make up the bigger world, you know, it becomes very clear very quickly that we're really not alone. It's actually not a useful option. And I think the pandemic in Bizarre, because we were in isolation, brought that home in terms of community and other pieces. You know, I, uh, we talked about this before, and I've talked a number of times about the book John Alexander has out about citizens and being better citizens. And I just, I, I love that concept. And he's got, there's a town in the UK called Grimsby. And it's almost like it's a microcosm of where it goes back to broken window syndrome, where it's so downtrodden, so out of use. And they've gradually built up from these one or two streets to rebuild the houses, rebuild the community. The, the local soccer clubs now involved, so they're building it up. But that, but I, for me, that's what you're talking about here, which is what's the community? We're not alone. But how do you get us almost a support community around you to rebuild your sense of well, almost worth and self into a world where you can be helpful for others as well as yourself? Yeah. 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 I don't want to say it starts as an inside job because I think there's a way that we can be seduced into focusing over here to the exclusion of the systems around us. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my work. I, I'll come back and make a difference after I've done my work. And it's not an if then or a when then or an either or. It's like, oh, okay, you know, engage with the world while you're doing your own work. You know, engage with the world because we kind of harped on the on the child or focused on the child for a bit, and this is something that, generally speaking, it's not always true, but 
it is something that children do very well and very naturally because of that because of that curiosity they mm -hmm. connect mm -hmm. you know they connect and they have their disagreements and they have their <laughs> they have their conflicts and then the and then the next moment happens <laughs> and they've forgotten about it <laughs> and you know it's on to the next thing <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we as adults could do that? <laughs> <laughs> it would. <laughs> and I want to link it into the creativity because there's a there's a, a really yeah. there's a focus in there because this is where I'm so curious about how this impacts organizations themselves or societal, you know, structures. Because there is something about releasing creativity that comes from the work that you, you do in here. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, you bet. You bet. Creativity gets short shrift in our, our culture. It tends to get put in a very tight box that's all about art, you know, the arts, the 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 singing, the dancing, the playwriting, the the visual art, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, whatever it happens to be. And with that, there's an awful lot of creative energy that gets used to explain away one's creativity. I, oh, I'm not creative. I can't draw a straight line. That's, that's a nice image. That's a nice image you just created there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How much of your time, energy, and attention goes into convincing yourself and others that you're not creative? That's not a particularly useful way to play with your creative energy, but you might want to notice you're doing it. So it's important to expand you know, and I think this is something that great leaders do, by the way, this is something that great leaders do, is that they they tap into their own creativity and they're able to tap into the creativity of those of those they lead, you know, and unleash that creativity. And there's a recognition that, you know, okay, creativity is not something that's limited to the world of the of the arts. Someone writing great code is creative. Someone learning to write code is creative. Someone who's playing in the world of, of up-leveling their management is making use of their creativity. They're called to their creativity over and over and over again. They might not recognize it as that, but it's really important. To me, anyway, in creativity, there are a few things. There's the endless curiosity that comes with the, the inner child. That's certainly a piece of it. There's also a sense of endless possibility. And that's more the lives more in the arena of of the adolescent who's looking at, at the world and feeling like they're indestructible and you know the world is their oyster. And it's the combination of and a combination of those things, you know, with the 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 aspect of ourselves that's a more integrated adult being able to kind of guide those energies. It's like what's needed here? Let's come up with some creative solutions. Let's look at it in different ways. I love it. So we could talk for hours and hours and hours. We're, we're, I'm asking a, a few new questions towards the end of the podcast nowadays. So the first one is, what are the small, what are the small experiences you've had as a leader or in what you do that have been the most memorable in shaping your views as a, as a leader? Yeah. Let me look. The small experiences. One of the small experiences that had a big impact, one of the small experiences that really kind of like blew my mind, I know, was realizing that, 
was was realizing that I was in this the and this particularly around leadership was realizing that I was in in the place where I was because I actually belonged there. It wasn't a mistake. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I lost that. <laughs> that is that is funny because it's almost the imposter syndrome. It's almost like there's a there's a design, there's a plan, but actually you were there for a reason. Yeah. Right. I, I, I was there for a reason and, and, and also to be fair, I, I had, you know, with help, I didn't mm -hmm. do it alone. Absolutely didn't yep. do it alone. But I had actually taken the steps to get there and my being there wasn't it wasn't a strange twist of fate. And as I, and the funny thing is, uh, as I look back at my work history, and this was this uh, this came later, Colin. As I look back at my work history, I I could see that, you know, with very few exceptions, one or two, where I did what I did because I thought I was supposed to be chasing dollars. But aside from those. You know, which, uh, as I mentioned, were they, they were only thank goodness they were only a few, and I know this is a bit of a cliche, but cliches become cliches because there's some truth to them. I was fortunate. I think there was also an element of mindfulness there that I followed my passions. I did the things that I wanted to do, and to this day, that's true. So the second one, if you had to disrupt the one thing that leaders do at the moment in this world, what would it be? I'm going to borrow a page from Raj, again, Raj Sasodi. I'm going to borrow a page from his playbook, and that is disrupt the idea that my collection of stakeholders stop at people who actually own shares in my business, or if it's a smaller business, that the stakeholder arena stops at the office door or the, the door at the front of the store. Those bigger systems. And then finally, what's the one leadership habit that for you is sacrosanct, you know, non-negotiable that we should be doing? <sighs> Playing. Oh, love it. <laughs> <laughs> mm. and, and let me ask you a question there, because as a follow-up, what do you mean by playing? Because so many people go, oh, we can't play at work, we can't do this, and it's... <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, it comes back to it comes back to learning and and creativity and creative expression because play, you know, play greases the wheels of learning. It unleashes creativity. I'm sure neuroscientists would tell us all sorts of good things about what it, you know, you mentioned bathing the brain before. I'm sure it does a beautiful job of of bathing the brain in in things that are not cortisol. Uh <laughs> In, in my observation, in observations anyway, people tend to get along differently when they allow themselves to be playful, you know, playful with themselves, playful with one another, playful with the, the stuff they're working on. Wouldn't it be great? Anyway, sir, we could we could talk for ages. Joe, oh, yeah. if people want to find out about more about you, where would they go, Ken, to, to find out more about you and the programs? So I have a, a new website coming, but you can get to my old one right now, and that's KenMossman.com. And that's probably the best place. You know, you can look you can look for me on LinkedIn as well, but uh, I think the website is is the best place to go. And if you get to the website and the guy in the images doesn't have a mustache and beard <laughs> Come back in another couple of weeks because I swear he will. <laughs> it's going to be there. It's going to be there.
<laughs> it's going to be there. Ken, you know, I can see, already see the caricature on the, the website and the animation in the background with a mustache, and then you'll have to keep it. So, so it's been a delight. Um, so happy to know you and the start of uh, what I think is going to be a very welcoming relationship for my, myself going forward. Thank you for coming on the podcast and thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, yeah. likewise. It's been a delight, Colin. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Well, that was Ken Mossman. Amazing gentleman, amazing backgrounds to where he's come from, his jobs. Just listen to the list of jobs from Sous Chef right the way through to the coach and the, the course I am. The things that struck me uh, from that, one is this concept of creativity and how releasing that concept of our, our self or inner child um, is, is massive in there. And I, I think I loved his analogy about cutting off a limb and being separate and how damaging that is and how we need to bring it back in to our lives. But I think the second thing for me is he's providing a, a, a place and a framework for for men in, in the world where we know we need to change and we need to to shift and change some of the the messages and the myths that we've got about what it is to be a man in this world about masculinity and how we can help people to do that. And I think it's one thing to say change, but it's another thing to give people a framework and a support mechanism to be able to do that. And I love what he's talking about. I'm looking forward to, to doing that workshop and uh, having a go. And, and I'm sure I will talk about it more either in the newsletter or on the podcast as I go forward. So thank you, Ken. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Leadership Tales podcast. And I'll look forward to welcome you back on another episode soon.